0: Hello, I'm Alan Knapp, an editor for Functional Ecology and today I'm visiting with Phil Hume from Lincoln University in New Zealand. Phil is the author of a paper titled, Consistent Flowering Response to Global Warming by European Plants Introduced into North America. Phil, congratulations on the paper and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi Alan, thanks for calling.
0: Um, let's begin by uh, you giving us a bit of background on the study. You tell us a bit about what motivated it and, and how this research relates to the broader issue of alien species introductions.
1: Yeah, well, I guess there, there are there are two broad elements I think form the background to this work. The first one is the concerns that people have regarding climate change and the potential impacts of climate change on alien plant invasions. Uh, m- most of this evidence so far, suggesting that problems might get worse, are based on um, hand waving predictions and and models but there are very few mechanisms to show why we might need to be more worried about alien plants than native plants under climate change so one of the issues that uh, i thought was quite interesting is that phenology so when plants produce flowers or leaves or other features of their their, their demography uh, is quite a useful indicator of response to climate change so either plants are, are flowering earlier or they're leafing earlier etc as the temperature warms and this links through to demography. So if you can link phenology to demography, it means that plants that do well or track climate change might actually increase in abundance, whereas those that don't will actually decline. And actually recently I showed this in a, for, for a long-term study in, in the UK, which showed that for native species at least, uh, if they didn't track climate change over the last 30 to 40 years, they actually declined, whereas those that did track climate change broadly uh, increased. So phenology is quite an important element, potentially, to demography of, of plants. The other aspect is whether alien plants perform differently in their native and introduced ranges. And there's a, a body of theory that suggests alien plants might actually do better when they're introduced overseas than at home, mainly because they might escape their natural enemies or their competitors. Uh, admixtures of different gene pools from different parts of the native range might increase fitness. And all of this could increase performance and facilitate greater invasion under climate change. So my aim was to try and combine those two perspectives and to use plant phenology, particularly what we call first flowering date, the date on which flowering is first observed for a plant, as a trait, uh, as an ecological trait, and to see to the extent to which... Um, climate effects influenced that trait in both the native region and the uh, introduced region of 19 uh, uh, species. So that's basically um, the the background, really. So I just thought it would be a a great opportunity to test some fundamental theory with some existing data sets.
0: And so can you summarize for us what you found in this study?
1: Yeah, well, uh, let me explain. I mean, at the end of the day, I feel a bit of a parasite because I've, I've benefited greatly from other people's work. Uh, the, the studies I've used are, are two of the, probably the, the, the longest uh, studies of plant phenology, regular plant phenology studies, ever performed in the world, and they just happened to be in Oxfordshire and in Washington, D.C. And from the 1970s onwards, there was meticulous recording of when a wide range of plants first flowered. I think there were about 100 plants studied regularly in Washington, D.C., and over 300 plants studied regularly, almost on a daily basis, in, in Oxfordshire. And of that large pool of species, there are 19 in common. And these species are European natives that uh, the majority were, were introduced into North America, particularly the eastern seaboard, by by European settlers. So we've now had this opportunity to look at uh, a group of native European species uh, flowering in Europe, and also the same species flowering in Washington, and uh, combined with Climate data in both regions, you could see to what extent plants responded to warming over the last 30 years in both regions and see whether that was in any way similar between those two regions. So uh, I gathered the data and I, um, I looked at something called first flowering date, so that the date at which a plant first flowered, and looked at between the, the two regions and found that. Uh, In general, across the 19 species, those species that flowered early in the season tended to flower early season in in, in both the native and the introduced range, whereas those that flowered later in the season, not surprisingly, also flowered later in both both ranges. So uh, there was a consistent pattern, although plants generally in Washington, D.C., tended to flower a few days earlier, uh, this is a fairly consistent difference, than than, than species in, in, in Oxfordshire. I then also looked at how variable uh, the, the flowering was over this 30-year period. Remember that these plants were recorded almost every year, and so some years they flower earlier and other years they flower later. So I looked at that variance as well. And again, the variance was surprisingly similar between the, 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 the two regions uh, in that those species that flowered earlier were far more variable, far more sensitive to climate uh, change than those that flowered later in the season. And in both sites, I should mention that uh, over the last between the nineteen between nineteen seventy and two thousand there was a progressive warming of the climate in both both regions, although of course washington d c generally is is cooler over winter and hotter in summer than than oxfordshire and then I looked at uh, the uh, the the influence of temperature specifically the influence of temperature on uh, whether the plants advance their flowering or they actually regress their flowering. Uh, with a, a, an increase in temperature. And again, the relationships across these 19 species were remarkably consistent. Plants that responded very rapidly or, or very strongly to temperature did so in both Oxfordshire and Washington. And those that actually regressed or didn't respond very well at all did so similarly in both Oxfordshire and in Washington, D.C. And this suggests that really, and not surprisingly, plants are plants. they respond to the environment in a uh, standard uh, physiological ways and whether you're an alien or a native didn't seem to influence that. And that's interesting because one of the species is uh, Aliaria petiolata, which is it's not a, a major problem in the U.K., but it is seen as a major weed in eastern North America. And people suggest that it's escaped its herbivores and has a variety of ways of competing with native vegetation. But its phenology, its responsiveness to climate, seemed remarkably similar to what, it would, what, what you'd expect uh, from its behavior in, in Europe. So basically, I mean, to conclude from that, it suggests that from a, a climate change perspective, it doesn't seem as if plants, uh, these alien plants, have any advantage in terms of their responsiveness to climate than the species when it's a native. Uh, and so, suggesting that maybe we're we're perhaps potentially uh, oversensitive to the, the risks that climate change may pose to these the, the spread of these species.
0: Great. So um, first, I would take issue. I wouldn't call you a data parasite. I'd call you a data opportunist. Um, <laughs> and, and I've been opportunistic as well in using uh, these sorts of large data sets. And, and although it, it, they're wonderful in the sense that you can answer some really great questions, but oftentimes you're, you're also going to be frustrated by the questions you can't answer from these data sets. W- were, there any, were there any examples of questions you couldn't, that you hoped to address but couldn't address with these data?
1: Yeah. Yes. Well, of course. I think the, the key thing is when when these um, I suppose visionary studies were initiated, and clearly someone has to start these things at some point And uh, it's great that that people both in Washington D.C. and in the the UK did so. I don't think they had a, a standard aim. Uh, I mean, climate change wasn't a high issue on the agenda in the 1970s for most ecologists, and so. Uh, there are some things that they could certainly have improved, and one of them is to get better quality climate data. Uh, the data I had to use was from the nearest meteorological station or the, uh, for, for each of those regions, but clearly uh, plants might be responding to uh, quite local variations in climate. You know, all you need to have is a north-facing versus a south-facing facing slope, and that can change quite dramatically whether the, the, the microclimate that plants receive. So, it would be great to have populations where uh, perhaps there were data loggers that recorded the climate in, in finer detail. The other issue is, of course, that the first flowering date is very easy to measure. Uh, it, you go out, and when a plant's first flowering, you record that it's first flowered. But really, for phenological studies, you need to know more than just when a plant first flowers. You need to know something about the peak flowering period and also the duration of flowering, and both of which might be quite important in determining how plants succeed or fail under climate change. And of course that requires a lot more monitoring uh, and and recording, which unfortunately those data aren't very frequently um, collected. And then there were no performance measures of the individual plants. Now one one of the, the concerns with phenological data, particularly first flowering data, is that if over time populations increase in size, the chances of you finding plants flowering earlier and earlier increases just as a function of the population size of, of, of the plants. And so there's no measure of plant performance at any of these sites. So we don't know whether plants that first flowered were also becoming more fecund, producing more flowers, et cetera. So whether there's any benefit to first flowering or potentially whether there are any artifacts that people tended to record first flowering earlier for those populations that were increasing. And so disentangling those issues uh, would have been facilitated with a with a uh, a bit more, me- with a few more measures on on plant performance.
0: Well, last question, Phil. Um, what's next? Did the conclusion of this study lead you to any additional research activities?
1: Yeah, I think the the, the key thing is, uh, one has to bear in mind that these are nineteen nineteen species. They're they're weedy species, uh, rural species, that are actually some of them are classed as noxious weeds in, in the US. Um, but of course, you can't necessarily suggest that all plants are going to respond similarly uh, to these 19 species. And most of them were annual, uh, winter annuals, etc. That might respond in a very systematic way to climate. And so, you know, things like succulents or other life forms might respond quite differently to, to climate change. So we shouldn't extrapolate too far and say well, actually all um, all plants introduced into new regions will perform exactly the way they will in their native regions. We need a few more studies that could look at the phenology of other taxa and other other plant functional groups. Uh, but the, the, the area that I'm interested in is actually integrating phenology into uh, models of range shifting. So there are a, a number of attempts at trying to uh, predict how plants will respond to climate change by building species distribution models based on their native distribution and projecting those into uh, new territory and saying these plants will spread this far. Uh, But uh, my my assumption is that these models um, don't have any uh, fundamental mechanism. Uh, They're very correlative, and that actually understanding phenology and phenological patterns might actually help us gauge which plants might actually fulfill those projections, so which ones will really uh, take off under warming. And those that, even though you might predict that the climate should be suitable, just don't track climate change as well as you might expect, and they might actually be the, the, the ones that don't perform as well as you might expect. So I think those are the areas that I'm, I'm currently concentrating on, trying to integrate phenology into models of rain shifting in, in alien plant species.
0: Well, thanks very much for visiting with us, Phil, and congratulations again on a great
1: paper. Thanks, Alan. Goodbye. Bye.